live from Studio B's. This is proudly made in Canada. Brought to you by Local Laundry. I am your co-host and co-owner, Mr. Connor Curran. And today we also have our other co-host and co-owner, Mr. Dustin Paisley. Thanks, Connor. Happy to be here and happy to say that this episode is sponsored by Revita Energy Tea, which is a clean-based energy tea that is proudly made in Canada. Now, I'm really, really, really excited for today's episode. We have a couple of rock star guests that came onto our radar a short while ago through a, a nice funneled Twitter exchange. And since then, I've just absolutely fallen in love with the product, which is a lot coming from a male because it is a female-based brand, but absolutely in love with the branding and everything there is to know about the product. So really happy to say that today we have the founders of Three Ships Beauty. We have Connie Lowe and Laura Burgett. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. We're here. Be here. So I learned about the brand on Twitter. Obviously, you guys are, are growing a, a pretty exciting DTC brand. Pretty important that you have that, that customer-facing approach. But tell me a little bit about the product, the brand, how it got started. Give us the, the 411. Yeah, definitely. So Connie and I started the brand when we were recent grads from university. I went to U of T for chemical engineering. Connie's a Queen's Commerce grad. And it really got started back in March of 2017 as we launched. And the issues that we were frustrated with in the market as consumers were that one, skincare, especially natural skincare, was super expensive. Like we were having to spend $400 to get a full new natural skincare routine, which as recent grads, there's no <laughs> recent grads, there's no way that we could afford that. And most women can't. And then the second issue that we were addressing was that a lot of natural beauty is actually completely greenwashed. A lot of misleading claims. A lot of saying that they're sustainable, but not backing it up with anything, saying that they're natural, but then you look at the actual ingredient list and you're like, I can, can't, can't pronounce any of these things. You look them up and you're like, this is not something I really want to be putting on my face every day. So that's what spurred the brand was that we wanted to create a, a line that was affordable and truly natural and transparent beauty. So got started initially as a side hustle. So started the brand with just $4,000 and then bootstrapped ourselves until we were ready to go full time. So we took that leap around a year and a half into the business, which would have been two and a half years ago at this point. Took the jump, didn't pay ourselves like anything for the first year. It was like a real scrappy start. We're now a full-time team of seven amazing women. We just had four interns start this last week as well. Been growing quite rapidly. And some of our most recent, I guess, accomplishments would be that we've raised our first round of external funding this last October, which is 1.4 million in a seed round, which with a bunch of incredible angel investors, we appeared on Canada's Dragon's Den, uh, season 15, episode two, which went live at the end of October. And we also have had a number of large launches within the last six months. So we launched into 500 targets across the US, all the Whole Foods in Northern California, Hudson's Bay Country, Hudson's Bay Company across Canada, Holt Renfrew, Indigo and Urban Outfitters as well. So it's been a wild last eight months for us. Damn, let's just say big congratulations. Holy smokes. Wow. Where, where do you even quite start the list. that? Yeah, <laughs> quite the list of accomplishments. Congratulations, you two. Thank, Thank you. you. Hopefully I didn't give too much information so early on. <laughs> that's it. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. That's three, that, that's three ships. I, I would love to know kind of, okay, so we, we get the company started. Love the name Three Ships. You know, it's inspired by, you know, the, the myth of the finding that, that fountain of youth. I think, it's, I think it's fantastic. How do you go from, you know, you started 2017 kind of off the side of your desk to getting into 500 stores in the U.S. and all the Hudson Bays and all the great accomplishments that, that, that you kind of mentioned? How, how, did, how did you guys make that leap? 
Yeah, I, uh, sometimes I can't believe it myself, <laughs> just like the, all the things that we've done in four years. But I think something that we need to also work on doing a better job of is recognizing those accomplishments, which I'm sure you both can relate to. It's like sometimes you just think about the forward looking gaps and you don't think about what you've done in the past. So it's great to have these sorts of reminders on podcasts like this. Thanks for all the props. Um, in terms of how we were able to get it done, honestly, it's it was just a shit ton of grit and hustle. When Laura and I started, we were handmaking all of the products in my apartment kitchen in the evenings and on weekends because we were working other full-time jobs to save up money to like survive. Um, so we were working 24-7. I remember one of our first like large purchase orders was for 6,700 units of these makeup wipes. That was our first product. And I remember that number because we made every single unit by hand. Um, It took three weeks of us meeting up after work and on weekends to accomplish that order. But that's the side of entrepreneurship that I think a lot of people don't see. And that's why we're trying to show more about the behind the scenes now, because we understand that entrepreneurship can be really overly glamorized. So over that four-year period, another thing that people need to realize is, yes, we have all these accomplishments now, but in the first... like two years, we didn't really have any large retail partners with us. We didn't have a full product line. Um, So it's almost like you need to hit a certain point and then things start to take off. Because all the incredible retailers that Laura just listed, we landed all of those in the last six to eight months. Before that, like our largest retailers were just like boutiques, um, you know, small mom and pop shops, maybe some subscription boxes like FabFitFun and Ipsy. But we didn't have the Canadian presence and the US presence that we do now. Lots of grit, lots of hustle. I think that's like the secret sauce, which a lot of people don't want to hear. <laughs> no, man, people need to hear it, right? Because all they, all you do see is those, the the, the glamorization yeah. of entrepreneurship, and and you know, people doing photo shoots and and hanging out with celebrities and that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, no, no, <laughs> definitely didn't happen. Yeah, no, we're not yeah. those kind of like fake entrepreneurs. Yeah, we just do it yeah. for the flex, the flexpreneurs. And like when we first started, like even, you know, with that $4,000 budget, we couldn't afford photo shoots. We couldn't afford custom printed packaging. So like we made our own light box to take photos at home out of a cardboard box with tissue paper and two lamps, which had different colored light bulbs. Switch it out. Even getting shot at Allen Gardens as well in downtown Toronto with like a friend who is a photographer and a friend who is a model. And then we didn't know that you had to call the city to get approval to like shoot in public places. So like 10 minutes after we got there, this person comes over and like, you need to leave. Negotiate (laughs) with them to just let us stay for five minutes longer. Like, so it's a lot of just like making a little go a long way. Even like landing Target, we didn't have a sales rep or a distributor. We just found the contact information through a friend of a friend of a friend. And then includes us like actually chasing down the buyer at a trade show outside the men's room to bring them over to our booth. Like It's like those sorts of things that people don't realize necessarily. And then they just see the end goal. And they're like, oh, wow, I want to be like that. But they don't understand all the hustle that goes into it. Not going to skip over that. Because I, I read that part of the story and I, I want to hear more about that story. So how did you land Target? Yeah, Target was a hard one to crack because the buyers are constantly getting inundated with emails and also LinkedIn messages. So we did try that route, didn't really pay off. And it just so happened that I was having coffee with a friend who graduated from Queens. And she was saying that 
her friend from exchange worked in research at Target. And so I was like, you know what, worth a shot to try to get some sort of in. Uh, We had a conversation and I sent her products to try and she actually fell in love with our skincare products. So she found the buyer's email through like their internal email system and cold emailed him. Like she didn't know this guy. And she was like, Hey, Kevin, like you don't know me, but I just tried three ships and I love their products. I think it's worth a shot to try them out. And so that's how we were introduced initially, but he just wanted to launch us on target.com. And Laura and I really believed that our products would do well in store. So at a trade show that we saw that he was also going to be attending, we actually tried to chase him down. He didn't come by our booth for the first day. So on the second day, I just so happened to notice him walking into the men's room. He was wearing a very like specific kind of shirt that was very easy to spot. So I was like, you know what, this is like, let's shoot our shot. So I stood outside the men's room and just waited for him to come out. And I said his name when he exited the bathroom. I think he was a little bit taken aback, to be honest. He was like, who is this girl? And I was like, no, 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 we've been, we've been corresponding via email. Like, I swear, like, I'm not a total weirdo. And he was like, oh, yeah, I remember you. And so he met my co-founder, Laura, at the booth. We talked a little bit more about the products and explained why we'd be a fit for in-store. And I think that hustle convinced him enough to bring us in for a meeting at their headquarters uh, later that year. And so that's how we launched into the 500 Target doors. Otherwise, at this point, we would just be on .com. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You have to have that tenacity, though. You have to be able to willing to put yourself kind of out there, put yourself on the line. You know, also, I think it's so not enough people talk about, you know, working your network. I've unashamedly reached out to, you know, my best friend's mom to reach out to someone that she went to high school with 30 years ago to see if they can get me a meeting, you know, and it's never be afraid to ask. Cause the thing that's always shocks me is how many people are actually want to support you. Oh, you know, yeah. they, maybe they went to high school with you. Maybe you met them once, but they maybe follow you and they'd see like, yeah, they're doing something cool and they want to help. But mm-hmm. sometimes you just have to ask. Right. So I love that, uh, that that tenacious spirit because yeah. I also find we live in an age of like, you want success now, right? We live in an instant gratification era. You know, you want something to eat, skip the dishes. You want to watch something, Netflix. You want to go somewhere, Uber, right? And it's like, this thing, it's a grind. It takes time. You get little, little, little by little, but over time, you start to, you know, reap the rewards. So it's, uh, I love hearing stories like this. So mm-hmm. this is uh Absolutely incredible. So what is the experience like? Now you're in 500 Target stores. You're in the US. Like what? What's it like going from making everything by hand with your own light box and tissues to like the other side of it? Oh, it's been crazy. It's been such a whirlwind, especially in the midst of COVID. So 2020 was our big takeoff year and it was in the middle of a pandemic as well. So that created a lot of supply chain challenges for us. And like... 12 months ago, it was only Connie and I full-time with the business. So it's also been a lot of fun to see the expansion of the team. I think that that part is probably what gives Connie and I the most amount of joy is just seeing the team grow and to grow together and to build their skills. And then also seeing the impact that we're able to have on our customer skin, like the transformation photos and the calls and the emails and text messages and the direct messages saying how much they love the products. So that's really what keeps everything going. But it's for sure been a big a big challenge for us to go from kitchen table to now selling like in close to a thousand stores across the country. We just finalized a PO that was for like two hundred thousand pieces of one of our products to a large subscription box partner. So just the scale has grown tremendously. But it's also one of those things that you just like walk before you run. You take one step, which leads to the next step, which leads to the next one. So our advice for aspiring entrepreneurs is to not think that you need to have everything perfect from day one. Like it's just not going to be possible. 
It's unrealistic. You're setting yourself up for failure. You're probably going to waste a ton of money because it's expensive to have everything perfect, right? So we didn't have those resources available to us, which I think forced us to be very scrappy and resourceful. Absolutely. And now you've raised a ton of money. You've got a lot of resources. So tell me kind of what, what happens now, right? You're starting to get all these big orders. Logistically, I mean, I'm in operations. I know that that, that is its own beast to be able to facilitate some of these larger orders. What happens now? Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned like 1.4 million is a lot of funding because to some of the investors we're talking to, they're like, oh, that's cheap change. And we're like, that's a lot of money to us compared to $4,000. No kidding. Um, So yeah, it's been really great for helping us in many different areas of the business. So one is the team expansion that Laura mentioned earlier. We brought in a growth marketer, we brought on an influencer manager, a bunch of other roles. So that's really helped us out um, to help us work on the business more as opposed to like only in the business. And we're also growing in terms of our retail products that are available. So we're working on launching really innovative products like retinol serums and like night creams and chemical exfoliators that you typically only see with more chemical laden products, not so much in the natural space. And we're also spending a lot of that on marketing because up until maybe like October last year, we weren't really spending on marketing at all. Like most of it was word of mouth. And so this is the year where we're really starting to spend there and test. Um, so it's this whole big new arena that we're not used to playing in. Um, so right now we're hiring a VP of marketing to help us there. So having funding has really allowed us to get to the next level. But Laura and I were really cognizant not to raise money too early because we didn't want to dilute our ownership when we were still a small company. And so there is a trade-off. Like there were times where we were making products at like 2 a.m. literally, where we'd look at each other and be like, oh, it'd be so much easier if we had a manufacturer. I'm sure Laura can jump in here. Like, like literally having to hand pour stuff and hand measure by like the dropper level when we were first getting started. So the ability to scale up with our amazing commands, everything that we make is made locally within the Toronto area. This was really, really important for us, both from a quality control standpoint. Like I can drive to all three of our manufacturing sites within 30 minutes. So I can Uber there, which is incredible. And it also allows us to support our local economy, reduces greenhouse gas emissions because we're not having to ship things all over the world. It was a very obvious choice for us. And fortunately, Toronto is a bit of a hub for cosmetic and personal care manufacturing services. So there were quite a few commands for us to pick from amazing i love it you're speaking our language this is all yeah. the things that we kind of preach you know all, all of our garments are are entirely canadian made and and they're actually the sweaters that you got there you know they they were all made in toronto as well you know and so but all those reasons you know we, we list you know supporting a diverse canadian economy reducing our carbon footprint but also making a better quality garment and having that hands-on hands-on hands approach. approach so much know? so yeah so many people have asked us or we get so many emails from other manufacturers down the States that are wanting to make our stuff. They could truthfully, honestly do it for way cheaper. Same with if we went to China, they could do it for cheaper, but we're not looking to save like 50 cents here and there on our products. It's just not worth it for us to sacrifice the quality or that made in Canada, like commitment that we've made to our audience as well. Is there a lot of other Canadian made companies in your space? Not really. I can only think of one other brand that's like a large Canadian natural skincare brand that makes everything within Canada. The vast majority of brands are out of Europe, Asia, and the U.S. That's what I love, right? Because it just by the sole fact that you're making locally, which is which is wild that it's the case, but you have a huge competitive advantage over mm-hmm. all these other companies right away. Because that was one thing that we noticed. We we were not always Canadian made, right? We made the switch uh, about three years ago, 
And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're not competing against the big players anymore. We're not competing against all these other people that started clothing companies like us. Now, like we're only competing with a select few because no one else is, is, is manufacturing yeah. here. And I think also it opens you up to new opportunities. Like yeah. so many Canadian retailers, like massive ones, like, you know, like Hudson's Bay was just on a call with like Walmart, Rite Aid, like Rexall, like a lot of these brand retailers are looking for like locally made yeah. brands. And because they know that their shoppers are coming in looking for to shop by values. So whether it be like women owned or like made locally or has a give back component, a lot of people are coming in nowadays asking for that. So it's like a competitive advantage, not only for us, but for like our partners as well. 100%. And it's incredible too, now that I think for a while, you're in the space and you're just thinking like, oh, I, I really hope we can get in. Like, you know, they're doing you such a huge favor by listing your product on the shelf. But in reality, you have all these brands like yourselves who are far more sustainable. They're local. You're actually checking a lot of boxes. And in some ways, you're doing a favor to these big box stores by appeasing their customers and giving their customers the value-based brands that they're looking for. So it's almost we're seeing this flip of the table, right? Where you are getting a seat by creating the brand that you're creating. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. Any advice for other brands that are looking to kind of get in, in, in big box stores, you know, cause we've kind of went down that path and there was a lot of learnings, you know, from selling just, um, you know, I remember when we would sell in the boutiques and it's like, okay, yeah, I'll take 20. And they're like, okay, you drop them off, send them an invoice. And it's like, okay, bye. And then <laughs> you, now you're working with like buyers from categories and they're like, oh, you got to work in this system. We'll send a, you know, a PO this way, then this SO that way. And you're like, just send it to our DC and you're like, whoa, 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 what, what do yeah. any of these things mean? Oh, <laughs> you know? Favorite letters in the alphabet are E-D-I. I knew you were going to say Yeah, E-D-I is the worst. It was the bane of my existence for so long. I was just about to mention, um, when we were when we got our first big PO from a retail partner that requested EDI, we were like, what is that? And it was still being done in my parents' basement. And so we were like, uh, okay, like let's figure out what an ASN is and then like print that off and like what is an 850, 851? Like it was so complicated. But for your listeners, making the switch from like small retailers to large ones, it's a journey for sure. And there's some learnings. I actually did film an IGTV about this a couple months ago. It's on Free Ships Beauty Instagram, like about how to land retailers. So I recommend your listeners to check that out. I probably have a lot better tips in there. But off the top of my head, from what I remember, one of them is to take really seriously the nose that you get from these buyers, even if it's from like small brick and mortar shops, because when you listen to their reason for why they're saying no, you can refine your pitch for future pitches. So like, I think that's way better to get a no from someone than to get a yes, but then they like kind of just ghost you after I'd rather get a solid no and an explanation. So I think that's the first tip is to keep refining your pitch. That's something Laura and I did over the past four years. That's helped us so much, including even listening to the language that buyers use when they talk about brands. So then you can, you know, weave that language, the language the buyers are used to into your pitches and subconsciously, I think it makes them feel more comforted. So even saying things like EDI or like planograms, like things like that, I think actually makes a big difference. They they think that you're a bigger brand. And I think also when it comes to like sell through, I think sometimes people assume that getting into the retailer is a hard part, but that's actually the easy part. Getting your product off the shelf is a really hard part. So having marketing dollars set aside to invest 
best in retail execution, gratis like free products for store associates, samples, training, you know, um, promotions in store and out of store, influencer partnerships, podcast ads, like all of these things make a huge difference for supporting the retailers that you're launching into. And that's something that we learned because when we first started, we weren't investing a portion of our dollars into helping our retail partners. And we definitely saw that. So um, in terms of like a failure we've had, we were on well.ca. So the Canadian online store back before we rebranded when we were still called New Body. That was like two, three years ago. And we actually didn't do well there. And we got kicked out. And I think it's totally understandable because we weren't investing in the partnership. And so when I pitched the buyer again, once we rebranded, I told her, I was like, I've learned so much in the past year since like we've been kicked out of well.ca. And I know we're supposed to invest in like launch bundles, like email campaigns, like Instagram takeovers on the retail partners' websites, influencer partnerships, all of that. And when I listed all of this to them, they're like, you clearly know your shit now. And so we onboard again with them and we're selling out. So I think that those are like some, some of the key pointers I'd recommend to your audience. And I would also, last thing I would say is be really careful about which retailers you onboard with. I think it can be very tempting to be like, oh my gosh, like, you know, XYZ retailer reached out to me without thinking if they're a right fit for you. And like Dustin was saying, we actually have a lot more, um, I guess, like power than we think we do um, in these retailer brand relationships. So just be really careful with which retailers you're saying yes to, because it can come back to bite you in the ass later. We learn the hard Oh no. <laughs> do you have a story to share there? Well, yeah. We we got into it was a really exciting retailer, right? And again, it was one of those local pieces where we really fulfilled that local side of, of the pie that they were looking for. Uh, unfortunately, they're just very much a, a discount retailer, right? And still a great brand. They're they're one of the largest retailers in Canada, but it just wasn't a fit for us, right? We're we're premium Canadian made products. Their their brand is still about continuously offering those in-store discounts, those in-store promotions. And so we had a couple issues where, you know, they were good enough to let us not have our product out when they had these large in-store buy one, get one. But it just created issues because our product was hiding in the back. It wasn't moving enough. And then we we had another, so our second largest retailer at the time dropped us because of the promotions that were happening in the other retailer because they just weren't able to compete with with it. And even on our end, right? It just didn't make sense to be to be living off that much margin. So we uh, we terminated that agreement and no hard feelings that they still they're doing tremendous they have their own space but we're just kind of carving out that different space and it just doesn't fit i'd love to you know last little last little piece of advice i'd love to get your thoughts on expanding into the u.s i think you know canadians we kind of see you know going into the u.s such a beast because you're not just going into one country it's almost like you're going into 50 plus many countries you know with each state having its own culture its own laws and regulations you give any kind of advice on a company's looking to expand down south? I would say that's actually not as intimidating as people would assume it is. The government makes it pretty straightforward to understand how to export your products. And it might be harder if you're a like medical product or foods that has more restrictions behind it. But if it's something that's like a hard or a soft good or even skincare, it's really not too much to wade through. You just need to make sure that you're compliant with all the federal requirements. So in the case of a skincare product, that would be the FDA. The main thing that they regulate is just around the packaging and the claims that you make. Oftentimes, if you're launching with a retailer, they will help you go through that process. So they're used to having to take brands through the launch and through the regulatory side of things. From a taxation perspective, that's probably the most complicated aspect of selling into the U.S. because now that we have something called the Wayfair laws that basically allow states to tax at a state level once you reach a certain threshold in sales. 
then you have to make considerations around there. But again, there's tons of software platforms that are relatively affordable that do all of this tax uh, tracking for you. So I would say that like, there's a lot of hesitancy for like, no reason. Like, I think it's, it's a market that we obviously know is massive. Their consumers think through things in very different ways. So probably the hardest part is not from like the regulatory side or like the tech checkbox side or the government side. It's more so from like the awareness piece, which is hard regardless of what market you're going to be launching into. I love that. Great, great piece of advice. Stop being so intimidated and just... Yeah, don't be scared. And just go after it. Is it a different audience though? Or the, the, does the consumer think differently? Do they behave differently or is it... Kind of they do definitely so there's more like sub genres of american shoppers i would say than canadian shoppers there's also a lot more socioeconomic considerations that you need to make in the u.s and they tend to be a little bit more politicized too so you have to be a little bit more sensitive around certain issues um, within the u.s as well and then i would say that like other than that there's nothing that's crazy crazy different unless funny you have any specific insights. Canadian consumers actually tend to be more skeptical than American consumers do. So Americans, I don't believe that. <laughs> I love that. Very witty. So American consumers tend to actually be easier to convince than Canadian consumers are. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, I agree with Laura there. I think for us, like what we're really working on this year is cracking US awareness, like she mentioned, hence why we're bringing on a VP of marketing. And then a tip for your listeners, if they are looking to launch like large scale at retail in the US, do some like geo-targeted campaigns. So like doing like geo-targeted Facebook ads, targeting people who live within like a three mile radius of the stores that they're carried at or working with influencers in certain regions. So what we did with our PR agency is we're like, if we're at Whole Foods in Northern California, find us a list of 30 influencers that are like moms within the NorCal region. And then those are the ones we're going to partner with instead of just like spraying and praying like across all the US. So those are two tips I would say for trying to get more targeted with your marketing. But like Laura mentioned, the audience is quite similar other than the fact that they're more open to trying brands. Yeah, I love it. Well, this, this is fantastic. Listen, we don't want to take uh, any, any more of your time. You two have uh, big, big goals, big plans. So Dustin, why don't, why don't you uh, give us well, the last, last, last question. What's, what's next? Where do you guys go from here? Yeah, that's a great question. So Connie and I have always had aspirations to find the brand a long-term home. So we want to sell the brand to a larger CPG company that will be able to make sure that the brand lives in excess of our lives, essentially. And we want to do that before the time that we're 30. I just turned 28 like six weeks ago. Connie's turning 28 in July. So we have around two and a bit years to go before we need to hit that number. So for us, like rapid expansion of our sales is our main priority. This year in particular, focusing on those US partnerships with Whole Foods and Target to ensure that we can see success within those accounts. Like Connie mentioned, we're currently hiring a VP of marketing. So this will be the person that basically runs the show within our marketing team. So that's the immediate term. We're also going to be rounding out our skincare offerings. We're doing an overhaul on some of our packaging and our graphic elements. We're going to be redoing our website later this year. We're thinking of raising a Series A within the next six months too. So that'll probably be something that will come later on. And then next year, we'll also be launching probably some body care products would be really, really exciting. So those are like the immediate term plans. But again, We've always been really fixated on this sell by the time we're 30 type of goal. I love that. You got to have those things to look forward to, right? And, and set those dates in mind too, because otherwise you just keep pushing it back, pushing it back. But uh, yeah, I respect the, I respect that. 
vision boards together, Laura and I. And on my vision board, I have a check that I wrote to myself for like our exit amount that I'm visualizing with a set date. So it's like every day I'm like, okay, it's going to happen. <laughs> I love that. Amazing. Well, I'm sure I have no doubt in my mind you to admit it this far. You're absolutely going to achieve that goal. No question. 100%. And, and when you do, we're going to come knocking to, to invest in local laundry. Yeah. Oh, I love your <laughs> so your sweaters are actually so soft. I, it's like my coziest sweater that I live in. So love the branding. And I love the unboxing experience too. It was very oh. Canadian, which, which I really enjoyed. Thank well, you. Thank you. you. Well, if you ever want to, yeah, if you ever want to collaborate, we'll make some three ship uh, Canadian made sweaters made right in Toronto. We're all ears. Cute. I love, love it. it. That's a great idea. Actually. We'll reach out to you. Definitely. Well, Dustin, send us home. Perfect. Well, Connie, Laura, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you two, getting to learn more about the brand. I am incredibly inspired by by your grit, by your determination, and by your ambition. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in. This has been another great episode of the Proudly Made in Canada podcast featuring another absolutely incredible Proudly Made in Canada brand. We've got some really exciting guests coming down the pipeline. I look forward to you listening in. Again, another big thank you to our sponsor, Ravita Energy Tea, for powering us through this episode. And again, thanks for listening. And until next time. Thank you so much for tuning in to Proudly Made in Canada by Local Laundry. We are your co-hosts and co-owners, Connor Curran and Dustin Paisley. You can find us anywhere, anytime at www.locallaundry.ca for all of our Canadian made garments. You can find out what we're up to in the community at Local Laundry and all social channels. Sign up for our newsletter, sign up for our e-blast, and you can find all previous episodes of the podcast wherever you stream your podcast from. Until next time. Until next time.